This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Leanna Hawkins grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. She realized early on that if she wanted to make a living for herself, that she had to build skills and take advantage of opportunities as they came to her. So it's no surprise that at the age of 30, she's running her own financial services marketing firm, Blackhawk Financial, and is a best-selling author with her new book, Young, Fun, and Financially Free. Often we think that we have to sacrifice today to build wealth for the future. And we also think that money management has to be boring and complicated. Leanna wrote her book to help you realize that you can create a wealthy future and still live the good life today. A lot of it has to do with having the right mindset. And it doesn't have to be so serious. Leanna joined me from Vancouver to tell her personal finance story and how she is able to be young, fun, and financially free. I first became aware of money when I was really young. So I was always really driven by earning money. So I, of all of my friends, I think when I was an early teen, I I always had a a job really, really young in terms of formal jobs. So Mm -hmm. was there a reason? Do you, can you think back? Like why, why were you driven? I was driven because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. No one worked in the financial field. So I grew up in a family of mostly engineers. So grandfather, um, my dad are both entrepreneurs in the engineering field. My uncle is a very, uh, very successful real estate developer uh, in Vancouver. And um, everyone was entrepreneurs, but no one was a a broker or an advisor in the financial industry. Um, So I'm different in that way to them. So I always just saw them working really hard and accomplishing things and having very nice lifestyles uh, to be able to do that. And none of them necessarily went the traditional route. So, you know, like my uncle, for example, he was sort of a wild child and a ladies man and never graduated high school and never <laughs> went to college, nice. never did that kind of thing. But he was in his twenties and he was my cool uncle and he was driving around. He had a Porsche, a Ferrari, waterfront homes, a place in Hawaii. He took the whole family to Hawaii and I was a kid and wow. he was so cool. He was like this rock star uncle and he'd pick me up from school in his Porsche and like take me out for ice cream and just tell me stories about how Leanna you can do it too you can do whatever you want and no you don't necessarily have to go to college and you know do the traditional route to be able to understand money and understand investing and he decided to invest in real estate and go down that that route and um you know, so I saw different sides of it. And then, you know, my father, he was much more traditional. He went to university and he was very traditional in the way that he decided to build his business and, uh, you know, acquire his assets and invest his money. So I got to see different ways that people built their lifestyle and became successful. And I wanted to do those types of things and um, be able to to be successful like they were. And I kind of tend to do a little bit of both, I think. I go a little bit traditional. I obviously am educated in the financial field, but I tend to be a little bit more relaxed in the way that I talk about money and try to educate others on money. So like my uncle and you know, my dad also encouraged it. 
I started, you know, selling cans of pop to golfers at the the private golf course, which was in an affluent area, sort of near the community I grew up in. And my little brother and I would go buy cans of Safeway pop for 10 cents or whatever by the case. And my mom would drive us down with the cooler and we would sell cookies and cans of pop to the, the golfers at the private golf course. And we'd sell them for 50 cents or a dollar or whatever it was. And so we had a huge profit margin. So we do things like that when we were really little. And then, you know, it just grew and grew from there. And then I had my first job at Foot Locker when I was 14. And then I was a hostess at a restaurant when I was 15. And, you know, so I then started to get real jobs. Yeah, was- so you did get real jobs. You, you weren't, uh, yeah. So let's go, let's go back for a sec. So the, yeah. the, the best part about this is, you're talking about two different kinds of entrepreneurship and nowhere in there was somebody working at a factory nine to five for somebody else. There was obviously influences in my life, people that had other sorts of employment as well. My mom, she's a grade one teacher. She just retired this year. And so she had a totally different way mm-hmm. of employment and giving back to the world and education. And she loves kids. And, you know, she came home really tired every day and she had, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom and had been out of the workforce for many, many years after, um, you know, my parents were together for many years and then they got divorced. And then after they got divorced, she needed to go back and and go back to work. And so she ended up going back into teaching, but she hadn't worked in a long time. And uh, and so it was interesting watching her go back, uh, go back to work and go through that whole experience. She would come home tired and uh, running around after those little grade ones all the time. <laughs> and, and so I saw her go through that as well. So, you know, there's been lots of influences and seeing people have different ways of earning income, having a lifestyle. You know, there's also lots of benefits to having an employment like that with those, uh, you know, employer and medical and extended benefits as well. So there's lots of different ways to create a life and I can see why people do it in those different ways. So. Well, well, I like that you're, you're bringing all these sides up because, yeah, that's just it. There are different ways to do it. And a lot of mm-hmm. us were brought up in the way that you can't go out on your own. And I really like that, that you were not only had uh, people with d- different kinds of people going out on their own, like different ways to show you that, okay, if you weren't going to be really risky like your uncle, I, I'll, I'll call him risky. Uh, just for the sake of comparison, uh, so you probably enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then your your dad would be more of a structured entrepreneur. Is that, is that a good assessment as as well? Mm, yeah, absolutely. so you got to see that it could be done, and that uh, you know risks aren't always uh, risks are often calculated by entrepreneurs, and people like to think, oh, it's just somebody going out and buying two hundred grand worth of gold, and you know, hoping <laughs> that this is going to work out. And really, the majority of entrepreneurs, and I'll, I'll again uh, refer to your dad, uh, take calculated risks. Do you, uh, would you agree? Absolutely. I think there is value in having strategy when you're mm-hmm. going out to, to take risks on yourself or on anyone else as well, because that's going to mitigate a lot of the issues that you might have when you're going out to do something on your own like that, because you don't have the support of an employer to fall back on. It's 100% on you. So I think in order to mitigate the risk, creating a business plan um, is probably the best way to do that. And, you know, preparing for some of the bumps that you might hit on your road to your, your entrepreneurial venture. 
um, in advance is the best way to go about doing it. But no matter what, you have to be prepared to to stomach some of the pitfalls because they're going to happen no matter no matter how well you plan out what you're going to be doing. But definitely, I think preparing in advance is probably the way to go. Do you feel like you learned uh, like you know you got some of the failures early by doing these early businesses, or were they just kind of fun things when you were an early teen? Was it like well, I, did you have some bad yeah, experiences? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I think that was a big part of me writing my book. So, um, you know, I wrote Young, Fun, and Financially Free Mm -hmm. when I was 29, and I'm 30 now. And so I actually finished the book. I finished writing it at 1140 before my 30th birthday. Did you need this to happen? Was it like totally? Oh, uh, yeah. I was... I for sure meant it to happen. I was like, I'm finishing it and power wrote it right before my 30th birthday. The last, uh, the last bit of the manuscript definitely was the goal to finish it before my 30th birthday. And the reason why I have learned so much about a lot of the pitfalls of life in general and, you know, entrepreneurialism is because I've taken a lot of big risks. And I do believe that taking on risk is where you do find reward in life as Mm -hmm. well. But because I've taken risks, I've had a lot of failure too. And, you know, risk is reward. You know, you're not going to get a lot out of life if you're not going out there and trying new things. But yeah, you're, you shouldn't just be going and throwing stuff against the wall yeah, and yeah. expecting it to stick without carefully planning things out. But, you know, at the end of the day, a risk is always going to be a risk. And there is always going to be a chance that it's going to fail or that something, something about that is going to go well, but some of it is not going to stick and it's not going to work. And you're going to have to pay price for that. And, you know, that's why I wrote the book because a lot of crazy stuff happened to me in my late teens and throughout my twenties as I was taking these big risks, whether it was applying to, I applied to 10 jobs in New York, 10 in London in my early twenties. And the one in London ended up being the one that I took. And, you know, but along with that, there was some crazy stuff that happened and then, you know, getting, sued and floods in my first home and and all this crazy stuff has happened. So I've learned from taking all these risks in real estate investment and, you know, stocks and investing and partnerships and entrepreneurialism. I've had, I've learned a lot of things that I think some of my other friends in their twenties maybe didn't necessarily learn. And so I decided to write this book because there's a lot of stuff about insurance and, you know, medical things and investing that I think a lot of people, other in their 20s maybe haven't learned yet and maybe haven't taken those risks yet and not to say that it wasn't worth it because I'm glad that I learned those lessons For sure. but I think that other people can learn from some other people's mistakes or other people's lessons so yeah, that's why to I make it a little bit easier right like I mean everyone's got to yeah. go through their stuff but you know like I say when I talk about uh, my gambling addiction that I went through mm-hmm. I can't stop somebody from going through an addiction or becoming addicted to some something or anything but I can maybe make it uh, quicker for them to recover by providing the resources and talking about it so they know where to go. And that's kind of what exactly. you're saying, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you can share those things and then, you know, maybe enlighten someone about why it's important to have renter's insurance, not just because if your laptop gets fried in a flood, but yeah. because if you get... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, someone's outside the door. Okay. <laughs> You know, to have the liability coverage in case something happens. 
um, then, you know, that's really important. A lot of young people don't know that. They just think about, you know, when they're renting an apartment or something, oh, well, if something happens, all I have is this little couch. Yeah, my I'm stuff not, isn't worth anything, but it's not you know, about the stuff, really. It's not about that. It's that's about the liability, yeah. you know, and that's just something that's so basic that, you know, I had people, great people in my life that were entrepreneurs and all that stuff. And, you know, my dad always said, well, you know, you, it's not about that, Leanna. It's about the liability coverage. Mm-hmm. So, and even, you know, it's not, you don't, you're not a stupid person because you don't know these things. It's just life experience. You don't know te- what you don't know, right? Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so many, so many okay, lessons. So, uh, you said a bunch <laughs> of things <laughs> and I, I, I look, can we go back to when you got sued? Is that kind of like, um, or what, no, what's the earliest? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the earliest sort, sort of, uh, um, you, so you, you got a job, your first job, you went to London. Is that what you said? Um, that was actually my last full-time job before I started Blackhawk Financial. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I was doing investor relations, um, and some transactions consulting in London. So transactions by that, I mean, any public company that was doing a rights issue. So they were issuing more stock in their public company or they were doing a buyout. So uh, mergers and acquisitions. Um, well, where'd you get so- your education? Um, so I grew up in Vancouver in Canada yeah. and um, I went to school at Ryerson in Toronto. Oh, you're, you're in school around here. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I originally actually went to school for hospitality and tourism, which was a business degree sure, at Ryerson. Yeah. There's only two places in Canada you could get a business degree for hospitality hospitality and tourism, which was at Ryerson or at Guelph. And I wanted to be in, in a the big city. city. Yeah. <laughs> big city girl like that. So I went to Ryerson and I was really, because actually also because of my uncle's influence, I was really into the development side of hospitality and tourism oh. and resorts. And I really wanted to be involved in development of wellness spas and holistic. Were you going to um, start your own? Well, I eventually I would still love to do that. I've always been very interested in health and wellness. One of the hashtags I use in my team and I with our social media is uh, health is wealth. I grew up ski racing and I still do a lot of running and I work out almost every day. And I really, um, I really believe that for anyone that's trying to make a change in their life, whether it's your your financial wellness or your physical wellness, your mental wellness and uh, your mental health. I think that a lot of that starts with what you're putting into your body and, and you're giving out of your body, whether it's your, your food and your exercise and your movement and how many steps a day you're doing and whether, you know, have a dog to snuggle with like I do. <laughs> my, uh, my partner in life, my COO, my executive assistant, that's, that's Mickey, right. he's my best friend. <laughs> yeah, he's and, gonna, uh, we'll keep him in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for his disturbance earlier. No, it's all right. uh, he's an active boy. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So I think, you know, your health is really important. So anyway, so I, I love wellness retreats and all that. Went to Ryerson um, and then I came back to Vancouver. And so I spent most of my, my 20s in uh, Vancouver, Vancouver, Toronto, New York, LA, and London. And uh, I still spend a lot of time, most of my time between LA, Vancouver, and um, I go to New York quite often, about seven, eight times a year. Yeah. So my last few years was in London. So how do you get sponsored to go yeah. to go to London, or is, like, what's the build up between you know you're coming out of Ryerson, and mm-hmm. yeah, just give us a a little sort of a path. Like, how does yeah. if somebody wanted to do what you do, how how would they get there? Well, I actually, well, I was in the hospitality program, but I was watching CNBC every day after mm-hmm. school. I was, 
you know, Jim Cramer, his show Mad Money, which I yeah. talked about too. He's sort of a big influence for me. Um, he's a little loud and crazy he's, he's out fun. there. He's fun, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? He's a really good educator and he doesn't just talk about stock picks and stuff he knows on his, his stuff. show. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about 401ks, which is, you know, the American version of RSPs. And he talks about a lot of things that are aside from just stock picks, um, but investing in general and, you know, help um, money, wellness and financial education in general. And so I was watching that show every day. I've been watching it for 13 years now. The show's been on. So I was just, by that time, I was already trading stocks when I was in college and I just went into finance. So I went straight out of school. Um, I actually had a job working for a group of public companies in Vancouver from the third, third year I was in school. I was doing my courses in Vancouver online, working for um, some junior resource companies that were publicly trading. And I was doing my Ryerson courses online from here in Vancouver. And then I graduated and I started working as a um, financial advisor and then I went to work for the Olympics while they were here in 2010. Oh, wow. You just apply for that? How do you get in there? Um, a recruiter a recruiter contacted me because they knew I had been a ski racer. Okay, yeah, good connection. And I had a yeah, and I had a, a financial background as well. So I actually was a, an assistant to the CEO of Olympic Broadcasting, which okay. is sort of in the broadcasting world because I also have been a, a model and an actress for many years until I was 26. I sort of stopped doing that because I just got too busy with Blackhawk. And sure. it was sort of a, a random personal passion that I was doing modeling and acting. So I always had a little bit of experience in film and television and modeling. And um, I think it was, I think it was actually my agent that sort of got me that connection. And I had the whole ski world um, connection there too. So anyway, I worked for um, Olympic Broadcasting for their CEO who came over from Spain uh, to Vancouver. And so I was dealing with NBC and ABC and all the rights issues for the Olympics. Um, wow, doing that's a uh, some great Financial experience. stuff, a little bit of the broadcasting. Yeah, it was, it was such a random job, but it was yeah. really cool. It was actually quite well paid, which was um, quite incredible. I'm sure, yeah. All of the events, all the finals for everything with the, the CEO of Olympic Broadcasting. And uh, that was neat. It was a really cool Vancouver Olympic experience. Then I worked in finance for a technology company here in Vancouver, a really cool, highly publicized uh, Vancouver success story. So you're just taking the opportunities as they, as they come along. Yeah, I've always been really lucky in my career. <laughs> well, it's like, like do different stuff. And a lot of it crosses over, right? I, you know, I'm a musician. I worked in the music business for 15 years. It's not a coincidence, you know. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you got a, a connection to the Olympics because you're a ski racer. It kind of don't discount the one thing like people like, you know, they're good at this thing and they're like, "Oh, I don't do that anymore." It could get open a door for you, right? Yeah, it's interesting how and sometimes even now, I mean, 10, 15 years later, things start to just cross paths and come together. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the things I do now even with social media and TV and video interviewing and stuff in the media. It's like all this doing television and film and, and modeling comes in handy now because I'm so comfortable in front of the camera and whatnot and oh, doing all those little commercials and uh, movies and stuff and being on the runway. It's like, oh, that all comes in handy now because now I'm totally comfortable to go on television with uh, no with no questions ahead of time. So Yeah, so if, if uh, anyone's thinking, oh man, this is like, I'm changing course 
and uh, what I've done in the past, you know, five, 10 years, oh, it's all seems like a waste. It's never a waste, is it? And also, you never know, too, when when people say, oh, well, how, how do you how are you so comfortable with, you know, going on CNBC? Yeah, they have no questions or whatever. It's like, oh, you don't even know some people's background. I mean, some of these people that are going on TV have been doing it for years or even me. People, Oh, you've never done a national interview before. Well, I haven't, but I also have done acting and modeling for 13 years or something too, right? You never know. Sometimes people have a lot more experience or have been doing a lot more than you know about. So don't ever feel bad if you're feeling nervous as hell. Yeah, okay. That's a <laughs> and good you point. Have no idea why everybody else looks so natural because <laughs> you never know, right? So yeah. anyway, but yeah, you're right. You know, I think a lot of skills come into play later in life. So if you're doing a job or something now that you think is just, oh, why am I here? This is so worthless. Um, you know, it definitely, skills come into play later in life that uh, you may not have thought were so useful right now. There's always something to take from an experience, right? You can you can focus on, oh man, this job sucks. Or you can be like, I'm learning customer service skills or, you know, how to exactly. associate with people who maybe, you know, won't be my favorite people. And because that happens mm -hmm. in life, doesn't it? Yeah. And in my twenties, a lot of it was, I always say to, um, people that are younger than me now too, I always say in my twenties, I learned a lot of, you know, maybe not necessarily, I didn't learn what I really wanted to do or exactly where I wanted to be. I learned a lot what I don't like to do, but I also learned a lot of what I'm really good at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I think between those two things, it got me to where I eventually knew I wanted to be, which was definitely being an entrepreneur. And then now I'm sort of on the path of getting to better and better things and We'll see where that takes me. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. So let's just step back. So during the, all this time, this is so your 20s were you're going around a bit different places and you're building Blackhawk at this point. So I, I um, ended up working for a couple of tech companies and finance. And um, then I got the job in London and worked there. And then I decided to either stay there for quite a bit longer mm. and I would have to extend my visa or move back. And so I decided to make the decision to, to leave my job there and move back to Vancouver. And then I uh, briefly got a job um, as an oil broker in New York. And uh, that what's, what's that? Can you explain what an oil broker would do? Well, it's like being a, a stockbroker, but you're brokering oil deals. Like you're working between traders that are trading oil futures for airlines that are hedging the price of oil. Wow, that, that's really uh, specific. <laughs> so, no, well, not necessarily just airlines, but that's just for an example. Sure, so okay. anyone but even hedge, oil, yeah. hedge the price of oil. Yeah. Or so you need to, as a broker, you need to build the relationships with people that are affected by the price of oil. Mm. And then you also need to build the relationship with the oil traders in London, in Calgary, in um, different oil markets around the world, in Houston. So it's essentially a, a relationship management role, but you also need to have backup in your office in New York to actually broker the deals for you between the traders. Um, so it's a quite intense, intense role. And the commodity space is not something I had been in, nor had I been a broker before. But again, it was a, a relationship that I had built uh, through different contacts, and it was a very good opportunity. But it didn't actually start because the company then got a bid to be acquired by a very large firm. And then just a week before it was starting, 
I then had to stay in Vancouver. So okay, yeah. it didn't end up happening. But the whole point of it is, is really, I mean, if you knock on doors, they'll open. And that's, I've just 100% from day one, I call people, I email people, I show up at people's offices, not in a weird way, but they usually expect me. <laughs> Ask people to coffee, take people to lunch every time I'm back in town, every time I'm in New York. I take that same, that same, I'm still friends with him. That guy that hired me as an oil broker. Like I'm still like, we're genuinely friends. He's genuinely a mentor. I fostered those relationships with that same job I had when I was 18, working for those public companies and junior resources in Vancouver. When I, all the only experience I had was that I was reading Jim Cramer's books and watching him every day after school, reading books. And I told them, you know, this is what I'm doing. And they thought I was the funniest little girl and they hired me. <laughs> And they're like, I don't know who you are. I would go out for drinks with them every day after work and stuff. I wasn't even legal to be in these bars. Interesting. I mean, and, but no one ID'd me. I was with a bunch of 40-year-old, 50-year-old men. <laughs> I mean, I, I, should, I don't know if I should be saying that on this podcast. But <laughs> no I'm, names. No I don't names. really care. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be your own biggest advocate because nobody else will do it for you. You have to open mm -hmm. the doors for yourself and you really have to find the people that will help you because those same guys, those same brokers I worked with back then and those financial advisors I worked with back then that really mentored me, they still call me today. One of them just called me five days ago in New York and said, hey, Leanna, I know you're, you're working with these millennials and stuff now. You have this book out, you know, this CEO of this trading company, he's targeting that same group. I think I should introduce you to them. He was a broker 13 years ago that mm. was working with those public companies. Just call calls me out of the blue. Wants me to wants to introduce me to some CEO of some trading company. Still helping me out thirteen years later. So you have this unique skill that I'm that I'm uh, learning about, and it's first of all it's taking things like I'm, I'm going to say boring things like derivatives, uh, like oil oil futures, and <laughs> right because like nobody goes to school and is like I you know I'm going to trade this or this or that. Uh, maybe they do. I don't know. But you didn't do, go to school for that. You just have an interest in this stuff. I really am also lucky that my career is also my personal passion. Mm -hmm. And they say that they, whoever they is, is that if you read articles on the weekend about what your job is, the, the topic about what your job is during <laughs> yeah. the week, you know you're in a sweet spot. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, I, and that's what I do. On the weekend, I'm reading the Wall Street Journal and I am, <laughs> I am listening to podcasts on investing. But then you so. take this stuff, this stuff that nobody really understands and a lot of, a lot of people don't, not nobody, mm -hmm. and you're able to translate it into actual speak. Yeah, I hope so. That's, um, that's kind of what you're doing a lot, right? And when you go around and when you're on the TV... And in the States and I guess, was it mostly US TV or Canadian TV yeah, too? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I've just sort of, you know, started that in the last six months since the book okay. came out. Yeah, so okay. It's mostly been um, uh, New York uh, media outlets so far just because, you know, that's where my publicist and I have started out. But, you know, hopefully I'm going to be doing more in uh, in Canada it's just a matter of timing because I'm still trying to run the business and stuff as well. Yeah, but, for sure. um, yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully more in Canada as well. So now let's go back. So you're, you're probably making good money in your 20s doing all of this. Am, am I right? 
What are you? Yeah. So what are you doing with this money? Like, did you start to save right away? Like, is this your financial uh, love? Is and everybody else telling you buy this, buy that insurance? You know, protect yourself. Is it telling you to build emergency funds and early that kind of stuff too? Well, I sort of instinctively just knew a lot of this stuff. I mm-hmm. think, but um, my first big thing that I wanted to do, I always had money in my accounts just because I was always a saver and I was always good at being frugal and not spending wildly. I was also very busy working. Yeah, good at earning, yeah. Yeah, and you know what's funny? They say, you know, even a lot of investment bankers and stuff, you know, rookies that get into these investment banking programs right out of university and stuff right away, they always say, oh, you're making, you're working these crazy hours, you're making crazy money the first two, three years when you're in investment banking and, oh, you must be partying on the weekends and spending all this money. But these young guys in New York and Toronto and women as well, sorry, in these investment banking programs, they don't have time to spend their money. And that's kind of how I was too. I was working so hard. I I didn't have time to spend the money. So I was just, I had money in my accounts. I was saving it. And when I first got out of college, I was saving the money. And I knew already when I was in 12th grade, first, second, third, fourth year university, I wanted to buy a place in Vancouver, an apartment um, downtown right away. So I knew initially right off the bat, I wanted to save and, um, and buy my place. So I, in the first year out of school, I think, yeah, within the first year when I was 21, I bought my first place in, um, in Yelltown in in Vancouver, right downtown. So so that was my that was my first big chunk of money right out the door. You've had a place in Vancouver for nine years. Yeah, it's actually up for sale right now. So um, yeah, so that was my first big my first big investment. Oh, good for you. Yeah, which has done really well. And sure. so I yeah I always knew that um, that I guess was sort of my emergency cushion right off the mm-hmm, bat. I had mm-hmm. that money, and then I'd always had money in in high school because I was always working. And so I, yeah, I always had cash and in my account and whatnot. And in 2009 was when I really started putting money into stocks because I had money in university as well. I was working and I was saving and um, the markets were obviously way down. And so I started buying stocks. And then, yeah, when I got a full-time job out of school as a financial advisor was when I really started saving for the down payment and and um, because that was going to be that money was going to be used within the next year, I didn't put that money into stocks sure. because I knew stocks was going to be a long term hold. And when you say stocks, uh, are you actively trading stocks because you have all this knowledge? I'm not a trader. I used to try to be a trader back then, mm-hmm. but now I am an investor, not a trader, which means I hold things for at least a year or longer, okay. but not even a year. Now I'm like, I'm buying something and holding it for at least five years or longer. Now now it's like I'm way too busy to even think about trading. Yeah. How do you decide? Trading? Being a trader is, you know, you're looking at these things daily, multiple times a day in and out of them all the time. And I just don't think anyone, unless you are a professional trader, should be doing that. I, I agree with that, yes. time and your money. And I pretty much guarantee that none of us, unless you're a professional, really has enough education to be able to do that. Or resources, because you've got to pay money to have the research and the platforms to be able to trade like that. So are you uh, like you buying value stocks? Are you value investing? Or are you just buying balanced stuff? 
Um, I would say I'm value and growth. Yeah. Um, I'm not really focused on income. Uh, so no dividend uh, paying stocks or not focused on that. You pay dividends, yeah. I guess. Some of the blue chips just pay them anyway, but I'm not focused on that. Sure, sure. Um, I just want to buy good companies for the long term. Um, and what about funds or uh, ETFs? You, oh, do yeah, you recommend do. those or do you do them yourself? Absolutely. Um, I probably have 40% of my portfolio in ETFs. Okay, yeah. They're, they're cheap. Sure. Um, I like to do use ETFs for you know, emerging markets and international because it's just a great way to get broad market exposure for cheap. And um, yeah. Do you talk I about never, that in your book? Do you talk about uh, investing yeah. in terms of what uh, people should invest in? Yeah. And um, it's, you know, it's a very quick, probably a 40 minute read chapter okay. on investing. But my two big recommendations for people just starting to get into this stuff is ETFs. If you want to have your own selection of what's going into your investments and uh, robo advisors for if you want a totally hands-off approach. But um, when I, the one comment that I would make about robo advisors is although I am a huge fan of them for the recommendations that I have seen the robo advisors make for a lot of my friends and peers in the younger age groups in their twenties and thirties is that I think that sometimes the robo advisor recommendations are quite conservative. Mm -hmm. Sometimes only being like for people in their twenties and thirties up to like 60 or 70% in equities, which I think is really, really conservative. You want to be closer to a hundred percent, 90 when you're young, when you have like 40, 30, 40 years in a time horizon, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, if you have a stance on that, but no, you know, I've been, I, I've been hearing different people uh, lately. You know, I had, uh, um, someone on who was saying a hundred percent, hundred percent equities. Yeah. If you have more than 10 years to go and okay. yeah, I'll and, tell you that right now, I'm a hundred percent outside of my real estate investments. So, sure. and, and, you know, I, I've always been sort of on the conservative side. Cause I, I, you know, I, I'm a former, uh, I'm a recovered gambler. <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to take uh, really heavy risks anymore. And I don't mind lower returns in exchange for that. Uh, but, you know, I, I, uh, I like to hear everybody's perspective. And uh, yeah, so is it, is it, is there more to it? Or is it just if you got time, the, the market will, will catch up if it goes well, up it, and down? It depends right? on your, your knowledge level as well. So there's also, okay. I mean, my background is also in alternatives, so hedge funds, private equity. So, and I also have access to those kind of products. So, obviously, I have a lot of access to startup opportunities and all those kind of things. So, sometimes I have money in those little things, and I have clients that'll pay me fifty percent in cash, fifty percent in equity. So, I have I have okay. um, investments in those kind of things. But if yeah, if you're if you're just going online to buy an ETF. That's, you know, I like to recommend to people the index funds and you get an index that's emerging markets. It's one that's Canadian, one that's US. Uh, yeah, so like S&P and a TSX one and a emerging markets one, a Europe one. And you get some coverage in all those main markets. And then you can start to choose some cool ETFs that are covering robotics or, you know, like a crypto one or get, get something that's cool and trending that you're actually interested in individually as a person. Yeah, that's a little bit more trending for your age. Just for a little part. Yeah, of it, though, exactly. Right? For like a 
you know, take 15% of your portfolio and choose some of the fun stuff that's trendy right now and that you have a personal interest in. That's what I think is cool about creating your own portfolio out of ETFs rather than sure. a advisor. Yeah. Because I think that if people actually take interest in their investments, it should be fun. And that makes it more fun rather than making it a chore. Interesting, because I always say uh, if it's fun, it's gambling, <laughs> <laughs> and investing investing should be boring. But I, I hear I hear what you're saying because now, of course, a lot of people just uh, have no interest in this, and that's where the robos are yeah. probably the best. Because uh, it, if you're if you're stopping yourself from getting into it because you're like, oh, I just don't want to do any of this stuff, then of course the robos are perfect for you or just like buying, you know, just doing anything, get started. But uh, yeah, you're right. If you, if you want to do it at all, I like your idea of diversification in different areas and, and parts of the world and, and products as opposed to diversification with types of yeah. things, uh, types of assets. Or We're shifting that way. Yeah, exactly. We? Or what you can do is, because the thing is also an, uh, a robo is not going to give you the option to have you know, any of those cool kind of trends. That's right. So if you say, you know, a lot of this happens, I get asked this all the time. Friend will come up to me, you know, a 30 year old friend or something, say there, say, Leanne, I've saved $10,000. It's just sitting in my account. It's been there for two years. Like, can you help me invest it? And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) I'll give you some advice. So if you have (laughs) $10,000 sitting in your account, it's, you're losing money because inflation's two percent account is zero. So you're losing two percent a year. So that sucks. So what you should do is yeah, you really want a hands-off approach. Most people don't want to look at this stuff. Let's say, okay, why don't you take eight thousand of it and open up a robo advisor account? Put eight thousand of it in there and then take the other two thousand of it and open up a quest rate account or whatever. And Mm-hmm. Buy some ETFs through there. Buy and then with just the two thousand, that's twenty percent of your portfolio. Then with that twenty percent of your ten thousand dollar portfolio, buy the cool ETFs through that and just the stuff you're interested in. Buy some if you're if you think luxury fashion is going to be off the charts and you know that you know you're a girl and and you know that all the luxury fashion is the rage right now because China is flying and they represent. 30% of the luxury fashion market and you know whatever find some ETF that's on that or if you know you've done a little bit of research on the best ETF for robotics and automation and you found one that's amazing and it has you know 37% growth year over year for the last 4 years and you know you think that that one is absolutely incredible buy $700 of that and then a couple others, you know, within that portfolio and just have two of them and just have one that's smaller. That's like your, your play money, your fun money. And, and then just play around with that. But so it feels like less risk because you're only playing with 2000 of it. And then the 8,000 is safe in your, your robo portfolio. Yeah. I, I like this approach because instead of just saying, we're going to make uh, investing easy for you and simple, which is kind of what I try to do to take it off their hands. You're actually showing them that it can be fun in a way if they have any interest at all or just telling them it's okay to have interest in this stuff and you don't have to have tons and tons of knowledge to get started, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's sort of the whole 
premise of my book, why I wanted it just to be 150 yeah. pages, because most most Love people it. I know have read it in three to five hours. And um, even if you don't read the whole book, there's probably three pages at the end of every chapter that's I call my two cents, which is like the Coles notes of every chapter. So even if you don't want to read the three to five hours, it's you could probably read the Coles notes in 10 minutes on each chapter <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and get the very basics of everything because it really doesn't have to be that complicated or even more than complicated, that serious. Like, I just want everyone to just chill out. Yeah, let's chill out. <laughs> chill out. Seriously. Just ah. take it easy. Just learn a little bit and just calm down because it's going to be okay. But I mean, the problem is at the end of the day is, yeah, nobody's going to teach you this stuff. I mean, even like I say, like my parents and my uncle and the influences in my life were very positive in saying like you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be, but you have to put the time in yourself. Everyone has to put the time in themselves and invest in themselves to learn a little bit of the basics, just a little bit but no one else is going to do it for you, unfortunately. But it also doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Like you can just take it easy, learn at your own time, learn at your own pace and uh, take a couple weeks, take a bite here and there and, you know, just take it easy. But you got to do a little bit here and there. Awesome. And uh, so the book, you, you're not actually making any money off of this book. No, I'm not. And what, don't, don't you need money? Why not? Um, I do need money. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I have a lot of gold, but um, <laughs> I hope to make money through my company, Blackhawk Financial, which is uh, yes. marketing services for finance, but financial companies. But um, I decided to donate all the proceeds to the WE Foundation, which um, builds villages and does lots of great things in developing countries. Yeah. They have five pillars of their foundation and sort of the, the final pillar of what they do in their international villages is the opportunities pillar. So after they build the villages and a lot of their their villages are in African countries, in particular in Kenya, with the opportunities pillar, after they build the villages, they need to make sure that the people there are have sustainable incomes and economies. So that's what all the money mm -hmm. from the book goes toward. And I thought that that tied in well with the financial literacy in Western, you know, Western civilized countries. So this book is available at, you know, 40,000 bookstores in, you know, Australia and Europe and the UK, Canada, the US. And I just wanted to sort of bring attention to the fact that in all of these Western civilized countries, there are so many opportunities, unlimited opportunities for anyone to pick up a book, go on the internet, look at their phone, look at social media and be inspired by and educated by so many different resources to change their mindset and learn and invest in themselves and change their world and their whole life. But all of these people that are in countries in Africa and other places around the world, they will never, they don't, even, they don't even have access to the internet to some of these people or water or healthcare. They don't have the opportunities that we do. And so many of us take that for granted. And I just wanted to help, you know, support some of those people around the world. And even more than that is to bring attention to the people that do have the opportunity to change their life and just say, hey, listen, take five minutes today, learn something about your money or investing or your mindset, just change your mindset today and 
just do one thing to help improve your life because there are so many other people around the world that will never have the opportunity that you do. So don't take it for granted. Yeah, it's a really positive thing. So that's that's really awesome that you're doing that. I, I don't, you know, I don't know anyone who's uh, who's doing. It. I know it doesn't. Uh, you don't really make a lot of money writing a book. That's what everyone <laughs> likes to say. <laughs> well, that's right? why I don't understand but that you... more people don't do that too because. It, um, I think it brings so much mm. positivity to the book and, uh, yeah, yeah I love it. Cause it, it's, it's really, it, it's more of a, a promotional tool for you. You're, you're, it's a way for you to spread your message and then, yeah, you can make money other mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Money's not everything. <laughs> and so, and so your company Blackhawk, it's not, uh, you don't offer services for individuals. This, this is a company a B2B company. Yeah. Right? Um, but people contact me all the time now. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm consider I, I, I consider it sometimes. Um, it's not what I do, but yeah. What would you like for coaching? That kind of thing. Yeah. Or I get emails. All them? Be their advisor. Now, so I don't know. Cause you're, are you still, you're, are you still a licensed financial advisor? No, I'm not. Um, but yeah. I do some counseling and stuff with some families. Yeah, you can. You don't have. You just as long as you don't specifically advise. I don't say go equi- buy Apple equities stock. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's 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 where I'm at. You know, I I help people uh, put it all together. But you know, when it comes time to picking the stuff to achieve their goals, then they can go to somebody mm-hmm. else, a robo or wherever, right? Because that's you know, like like we talked about, that's just sort of like you know that a 10 minute exercise uh some for some people yeah. right it's more about kind of figuring out what you got and and uh what you want to do with it do you want to buy a house do you want to do this and then of course that'll dictate where your money goes yeah for some people yeah it's just knowing what those different options are and what paths they can take to get there and really just i think with anything with any big life decisions sometimes when you're in your own clouds of your own world sometimes it's hard to see clearly about the different ways to do things so i think it's with you know any again any big life decisions it's helpful to have a professional sort of guide the way almost like a a money therapist so that's great that you're helping people do that yeah well it's uh i i always quote carl richards uh and he's uh you know he wrote the one page financial plan book he likes to say a financial advisor, or financial coach is uh, the person between you and stupid. Yeah, so you need somebody there to, to help you out, even just for accountability or whatever. So, okay, how do people find you? So Blackhawk Financial. Yeah, blackhawkfinancial.ca and youngfunfree.com. And uh, there's uh, little forms people can fill out there if they actually want to send a message to uh, me and my team. And... They can also follow me at Liana underscore Hawk on Instagram or at Liana Blackhawk on Twitter. And we're going to give away one of your books. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So yeah, I'll put the details in the show notes, but you know, just check uh, bowhumphreys.com slash giveaway around the time of this, uh, the airing of this show. I'm sure I'll have uh, all the details up on there. And uh, so yeah, you could uh, enter to win uh, one of uh, Liana's books. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah. Thanks for for offering the book. That's great, and we'll uh, we'll make sure people uh, know where to get that. And of course, just go uh, youngfunfree. Yeah, youngfunfree.com. Yeah, and then you can read more about the book there and and buy 
buy it or you know find out more about Liana. Yeah, it's on Amazon and everything as well. Yeah, all over the place, everywhere you can uh, you can find books. As I said this before in another podcast, do we even have to tell people where to find books anymore? <laughs> like, just Google it. Yeah, right? very true. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thanks for coming on the show from from uh, all the way from Vancouver. And uh, okay, thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bo. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to me, and it only takes a few seconds. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. Next week, my guest will be Tom Kugler, founder of the Medium Mastery Academy, who went from making $10 an hour as a freelance writer to 80,000 monthly page views and 22,000 followers on the social media blogging platform Medium. Medium.